Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that covers every area of the property world and on days like today, does it all in one go as we take a look at Savills' cross-sector forecasts for 2020. I would have thought we'll have less sleepless nights than we had last year, simply because consumer confidence was, was pretty fragile. I would have thought things ease out over the course of the next year. But if you're hoping for a Brexit bounce, you might have to wait a while. I don't think there's going to be a huge sigh of relief and a flood of money into the UK because I don't think uncertainty has gone. I'm Guy Ruddle and with me today are the big guns, the heads of rural, residential and commercial research have all rushed back from their Christmas holidays to be in the studio today. All of them old hands when it comes to Real Estate Insights. So welcome Lucian Cook, head of residential research. How are you Lucian? I'm on fire today. Emily Norton, Head of Rural Research. How are you? I am back from the countryside and delighted to be here. Excellent. And Matt Oakley is Head of Commercial Research. You went to the countryside for Christmas, did you? And hurried back, yes. <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. You too. So here we are. We're here to do a, a, our look ahead to the year, the year 2020. And uh, we were here a year ago uh, doing the same thing, same crew. How has last year turned out? How did last year turn out compared to what you thought it would be like, all of you? Matt? Uh, well, obviously, I was completely right with everything that I said. Um, <laughs> the Middle haven't gone back and listened to last year's podcast. I think my, you know, my theme for last year was that, you know, uncertainty, we should look behind uncertainty and look at the market fundamentals. And in some cases, some people did, but sadly, I think, unfortunately, we spent far too much time, or I spent far too much time, talking about Brexit and politics. It was about a third of my life last year, and if I had one wish for 2020, it would be that it won't be so much this year. Okay, well, w- w- your wish may come true, but not until the end of this podcast, <laughs> I suspect. Uh, Lucy, what about you? Do, are, are you happy with what you were saying a year ago and how things turned out? Yeah, pretty much. I think... Uh, Compared to Matt, I probably spent much more than a third of my time talking about Brexit and politics. It seemed to be the big driver of the UK housing market. That broadly played out as we expected. We thought it would be um, a pretty low growth environment. We thought it would be north over the south. And so it proved to be. Um, the uncertainty was probably a bit more prolonged than we expected because, of course, we had an unexpected general election change in leadership and further delays to Brexit. Um, and some of that meant that some of the things we expected to gather a bit more momentum, such as uh, the build to rent sector, Yes, it did, but but perhaps not quite as much as we anticipated. Some caution about what the future political environment would look like. And Emily, in your world, would it be fair to say that often the themes don't change that much, but the pace that things happen comes and goes a bit? Is that about right? There's an element of that. The farmland market specifically, if we look at farmland, has always been very heavily affected by policy change. We've been uh, had sort of this re- regime for the last sort of 45, 50 years where whenever there's been a big change in how things are done within it, we get this drop off in, in um, volume of land being brought to the market. And absolutely, that was the story of last year. Uh, however, I think for my sector, some of the bigger themes and how they cross into food and how people use the countryside in particular those much bigger things are bigger than politics themselves, and they're much more to do with um, changing consumer trends and particularly climate change. Okay, so let's have a look then going f- going forwards uh, uh, this year. Now, you guys start thinking about this report, what, in September time roughly usually? Is that about right, somewhere around there? Certainly from our perspective, forecasting's probably a little bit earlier than that. Um, and, and then you do all that thinking and then you get 
a general election on December the 12th. So my obvious question is, how much has the outcome of the general election changed your thoughts about the year ahead? Well, I'm much lazier than Lucy, and I didn't start work on my forecast till December the 13th. <laughs> so it just didn't seem any point because there were so many scenarios. Um, short answer is not at all, to be honest. I, I, really? I don't think the general election as a result has changed my view of the prospects for 2020 at all. Uh, I think the fundamentals of the commercial market are, are where they were. Um, I don't think there's going to be a huge you know, sigh of relief and a flood of money into the UK because I don't think uncertainty has gone. You know, it was, I was saying to Lucien on the way over that it's notable that the pound dollar rate today is almost exactly the same as it was when we the day we sat down 12 months ago. So in the face of the markets, nothing has changed. So I don't think the general election and result has made a big difference to me anyway. I think I th- from a resi perspective, it, it probably has. Um, we were working on the principle we would have a conservative government. We didn't think it would have quite the majority that it has done. There are a few things that we we've sort of found interesting. A, a commitment amongst the conservatives to support private renters. Um, and we're talking there about um, abolition of um, no-fault evictions, giving uh, tenants much more security of tenure, which is likely to put a bit more pressure on landlords because they don't have quite the same flexibility that they expected. So that that is one big policy change. I think a lot of people were hoping that the Conservative Party manifesto would have a big cut in stamp duty. It didn't. Uh, it included a, a, a 3% surcharge, further 3% surcharge on overseas buyers. Uh, the support for house building is there, but perhaps in a different form. So we've we've seen this commitment to bring forward homes at a third discount in perpetuity uh, to be delivered through the planning system and through the house building system. So actually, some there are some fairly substantial shifts. I think it's interesting... Because agricultural policy, people focus on agricultural policy as being this pot of cash which gets distributed to to land managers. But actually, from our perspective, it is much, much bigger than that. It's more to do with trade policy. It's a lot to do with environmental policy. And it's also to do with how people consume food. And the result of the general election um, really signalled that a lot of the things around the um, that big picture uh, were going to be... As, as we had expected, there was no big change there. But the bigger difference between the political parties would have been in the small business trading environment and some of the different uh, issues around the fiscal environment and taxes and that kind of issue. And so sort of a conservative majority is a big tick for the status quo going forward. Before we get into some specifics in each of your areas, on the, on the, on the question of Brexit, you know, the, the government would... Boris Johnson will be saying, we've done it, Brexit's done, we know we have certainty, that's going to change everything, we can move forward. I'm not getting that strongly at, at the moment from the three of you, or am I wrong, Emily? No, I mean, certainty is a, a sort of a vacuous concept when it comes to the situation we're going into. I mean, we have a process uh, and it's very hard to predict the outcome of that process other than through what you suggested about the Conservative majority and the strength of that um, political advantage that is there and what that signals in that process. But it is a process and there's a lot of scope, therefore, for influence and variation over the next 12 months, 24 months and probably even five years. So I think it'll be really interesting when we come back in a year's time um, and we see where we've got to 
um, with a trade deal. Because I think whilst a lot of the political uncertainty, not all of it, um, a lot of that political uncertainty is passed, we still have this big economic uncertainty. What will our trading relationships look like with Europe and with our other major trading partners? And, and of course, that has direct impacts for Emily's sector. For my sector, it sort of affects the underlying economy and how consumers feel and therefore what they feel about buying houses. I want to talk about each of your areas and what your sort of main themes are for this year. Uh, We're not going to delve terribly deep into it because, frankly, there's an awful lot uh, to talk to say. And, you know, if you want the detail, dear listener, read the report. But, um, Matt, in the commercial uh, property world, what are your what what are the sort of the big two or three things that that you think we should be looking out for this year? I think for me, if I had to sort of pull out just two, the first is is continued instability in the retail sector Um, you know last year was yet another torrid uh, year both for owners of retail property retailers uh, and anyone who talks about it and I don't think this year is going to be dramatically different but I think what is going to change this year is I think you know the hungry opportunistic investors from around the world are looking at UK retail and just saying it's not all bad and some of it is spectacularly cheap now so I think this year, we'll see a turning point in terms of the pricing of, of prime retail assets. Um, Such th- as? I mean, are, are there sort of, do you think there are sort of specific targets around that, 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 that'll sort of do something to the market and change the way people think? I think we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see some big deals happening this year in terms of sort of where there are willing or unwilling vendors of prime shopping centres, prime retail warehouse parks, particularly the latter, I think, where you can convince yourself that it's slightly more defensive against internet shopping. But, you know, we've seen a dramatic fall in values in this sector over the last two years. And in a global context, it's just starting to look very attractively priced as long as you buy into the belief that, you know, we will continue to use shops. The other theme for me is is probably, the you know, London, I think, is now also starting to look comparatively cheap and comparatively strong in terms of the London office market. Uh, we've got a bit of a sort of indie Ref 1 situation where Scotland missed out on a boom that was happening in England for a few years and then looked cheap. You know, London has missed out on what's been happening in the European office markets. We normally lead the cycle, but I think you know, a lot of my clients are saying, actually, London's rental growth prospects look stronger than anywhere else in Europe at the moment. And that combined with comparatively low prices, I think could pull some more money back into the market. I'm not sure it's got a lot to do with politics. I just think we look comparatively attractive. And I seem to spend quite a lot of time last year on on Real Estate Insights talking about last mile logistics and, and, you know, uh, uh, warehousing and all that sort of stuff. And is that going to carry on being a big, big deal? Yes, it is. But it's not quite the sort of the glamour girl that it was. You know, the returns on that sector have fallen away from sort of, you know, 25 percent plus per annum to around 10 percent. But I think a lot of people are ignoring the fact that sector has its challenges. Labour is a real challenge. Electricity is a challenge for that sector. Land availability is a challenge for that sector. If, if in Luc- you know, if Lucian's sector, you know, everyone's going to be building factories to build houses, that's more competition for industrial land. And, you know, we all know that, you know, if you're building houses, you can pay more for the land than if you're if you're not. Emily, let's talk about your world, the rural world, farmland and the like. And, and as we've talked about it in, during the year, things like, you know, leisure activity, etc. In, in your part of the world. What do you what are your big themes, do you think, for this year? 
I think two of the biggest themes are have to rise above the policy noise that we've got going on. Um, one uh, sort of mirrors what um, Matt's just been talking about, sort of about the the inward attractiveness of um, UK farmland. Um, globally, um, we see UK property still being a particularly interesting asset class because it's defensible, because it's enforceable property rights. Um, and we know that a, over 50% of our 500 acre plus land sales, so the biggest farms last year were sold to overseas investors. And the second big trend, again, is sort of separate to government policy, but being signaled by government policy, but it's very much about new environmental um, income, particularly from offsetting. So we've talked before about um, a new system of biodiversity net gain on development, which is um, looking at the impact of the residential and commercial and infrastructure developments going forwards and how land can be used to offset those impacts. It's also about, for example, private carbon offsetting agreements. There's a this sort of burgeoning private market for um, environmental delivery uh, in a way that sort of farmers and land managers are very used to answering to government and to public policy and public money coming into that. This new market for, for private offsetting, we, we're looking at being particularly interesting. And as that matures, that could be quite exciting, right? Absolutely. In the residential market, in, in terms of sort of Savile's you know, sweet spot, uh, the sort of prime residential property, you know, what, what, are we, what are we looking at this year, do you think? Well, uh, Matt's talked about London, for example, looking cheap. And I think the bulk of the, the London London property market doesn't look cheap. It looks, still looks relatively fully valued, particularly if interest rates start to rise. The one exception is the prime central London market, which does look cheap. Prices have fallen for five years. Uh, that We saw the first increase in prime London prices, albeit that it was very, very small for four years um, in the last quarter of this year. So with prices off 20%, still a currency advantage because some of the gains that we saw in sterling have, have unwound. I think over the next five years, you know, that, that will deliver and it will probably be one of the stronger performing markets next. But otherwise, I think it'll be a slightly lacklustre lackluster year for house price growth. I think next year or this year, what's going to be really interesting is going to be uh, seeing where we have the trade-off between the government trying to encourage things like home ownership um, and the Bank of England continuing to regulate mortgages. So that change in political leadership brings all of that back into the equation. And you can see from the murmurings that have been made, the government would quite like a bit of easing of mortgage regulation to make it easier for people to get on the housing ladder. We've got a change um, uh, in the uh, in the governor of the Bank of England coming. I, I still think that you know that they will they will trump whatever the government wants, uh, and I suspect mortgage regulation is here to stay. You'll still see those barriers. I haven't really asked you the, each of you the overarching question of how how happy are you about where we are and what the, this year is going to be like in terms of your market. So I, I know it's sort of a rather sort of odd question, but generally, you, do you feel relaxed or are you going to have sleepless nights? Do you think as the, as the year goes on? I would have thought we'll have less sleepless nights than we had last year. I mean, there, there were points uh, over the course of, of 2019 where, you know, the political uncertainty probably hit what we would refer to as peak political uncertainty and and certainly concerns about which way the market would go at that point, simply because consumer confidence was was pretty fragile. I would have thought things ease out over the course of the next year, subject to how quickly and how easy it is to agree those trade deals. And I think now that those big pieces of legislation that the land use sector is looking at uh, get debated and get 
brought through Parliament, you know, that's when the structure of the whole thing is is likely to, you know, to sort of fit together. We've got these lovely loose terms like public money for public goods, uh, and everybody kind of nods sagely and goes, yes, that's going to be great. I mean, we have no idea what it means or how it's going to be valued or how it's going to be distributed. So looking at the agriculture bill coming through, looking at the environment bill coming through, seeing what shape those big pieces of legislation end up as is going to be critical. And, and I think in there, there's some stuff, you know, that whole road to zero carbon by 2050 um, is going to be something which really shows its hand in 2020. I think whereas five years ago, we might have paid lip service slightly to the environmental issues and concerns, the events of 2019 have brought that right to the forefront in 2020. And I think that will mean real change for big chunks of the property sector. Now, just because this is a special look at the whole of the year ahead doesn't mean so you, d- you get away without doing a Savile standard statistic. I know we've been talking for quite a long time already, so let's try and keep it relatively brief. But have you all got a Savile standout statistic ready for us? Matt, have you got a Savile standout? Absolutely. Go for it. What is your Savile standout statistic? The first one of 2020. Last year, shopping centre rents fell by 27%. I don't think it's going to continue at quite such a pace this year, but that suddenly means that an awful lot of retailers' rent bills are coming down. An awful lot of locations that they were thinking they might close suddenly become potentially profitable. So again, I think we may be facing the beginnings of a turning point in the retail sector. Emily, what's your Savile Standard, your first Savile Standard statistic for 2020? Um, I have a cautionary tale about the Three Little Pigs, uh, which is brief, I promise. Uh, and, and that is that um, global demand for um, straw uh, is expected to double up to 2060 from three gigatons to six gigatons. And global demand for wood and timber biomass is expected to uh, quadruple from uh, two gigatons up to eight gigatons by 2060. However, for bricks, uh, sand, uh, gravel and um, crushed rock, which is what largely makes up the majority um, of um, construction materials, demand for that is predicted to increase from 35 gigatons up to 82 gigatons globally by 2060. It's massive demand for construction materials globally, and that is definitely one to watch. And for anyone who doesn't know, a gigaton is a billion tonnes. Lucian, what's yours? Well, I think you'll be delighted to know that my standout statistic has nothing to do with politics and it has nothing to do with Brexit. It is all about demographics. Mm -hmm. So for the first time in 2019, we saw the number of single-person households where that person was over the age of 65 hit 4 million. Uh, And we know that in England alone, there are about three and a half million households where the head of house is over the age of 65 who have at least two spare bedrooms. And it's for those reasons, against the context of this growing older population, that one of the top picks which we put forward in this document is for retirement housing. There we are. You see, we're off to a flyer with the Savile Standard Statistic for 2020. Guys, thank you all for being very much for being here. It's been an absolutely delightful way to start the year with Real Estate Insights. Um, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want more detail on this, as I said uh, earlier, there's an enormous amount of detail in the 2020 cross-sector for Forecast. Uh, it's available on the Savills website, the research section, savills.co.uk slash research. And if you aren't already a subscriber to Real Estate Insights, then I think you should become one. And you can do that using your usual podcast provider. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. 
Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.